As a forward, again, you only need one chance to ruin his 70 minutes. You have to have that mentality all the time. I only one ball here. You're in trouble again. The Football Pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. OTB's The Hurling Pod with James Skell and Paul Murphy. You are very welcome along to the first episode of The Hurling Pod with James Skehill and Paul Murphy. I'm Willow Callahan from Off The Ball. Delighted after a year and a bit of putting up with The Football Pod, having full prominence, we now have your hurling analysis on The Hurling Pod. We've started a couple of weeks late, admittedly, because we had to wait for Paul Murphy's check to finally go through. It didn't bounce, so it means that he's now here with us to look back on the first two rounds of The Hurling League before the break. And we've got James Skehill as well. Between them, of course, Paul is a four-time All-Ireland winner and a four-time all-star with Kilkenny. James Gale was part of the Galway panel in 2017 who won that All-Ireland title and also when we talk about the Fitzgibbon Cup, a Fitzgibbon Cup winner back in 2007 as well. Lads, welcome along to the first edition of the Hurling Pod. Thanks very much, Will. I'm looking forward to this, um, James, because we get a chance to talk about Galway and where they're at so far. I was crucified on OTBM earlier this year, and I tried to explain my reasoning on this, where I put them in ninth place in the power rankings to start because of the miserable summer that they had last year and the disappointment after the good start in the league. Here we are with another good start in the league, this time under a new manager in Henry Shefflin. Where do you put Galway at this stage of the year so far? Oh God, so firstly, I, I saw your power rankings and I was going to direct message you, but I said I wouldn't, I'd hold tight. Um, but, you know, I, I found it hard to disagree with you from the outset, because objectively, if, if you're like, whether you're inside the country or outside the country, you look at last year's performances, um, as I said, a good league, a, a poor championship, didn't win a game, essentially. And then there's a management shift after, a, I suppose, a bit of a, you know, there's been a lot of high profile uh, talk around the manager's position in Galway last year. So you'd say we're not starting off in a very strong position. Um, but then when you look at Henry getting the job, you, you think that's that's obviously an air positivity around it and a good start at the league. And it's just changed the whole complexion in Galway entirely. So where we were looking at probably being ninth, tenth, where we're new, normally uh, perennial contenders, we're now probably third, fourth, in my view, on current form. You know, So I think there's a, I'm hoping for a good summer. It felt like the Galway-Limerick game changed things a bit, Paul, as well, with our perceptions probably of Galway for this year because the expectation would have been there to beat Offaly in the first round of the fixtures. But then for Galway, even if you take it that Limerick didn't have Keen Lynch because he was involved in the Fitzgibbon, even if you take the Gerald Hegarty red card, once again, it kind of felt like Galway are the team who were very well set up to challenge this Limerick team, physically, skill-wise, been able to go toe-to-toe with them. you got to consider that a marker what they laid down at the Gaelic grounds a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Galway, any time we played them over the years, the one thing you've always said is definitely that they were physical. There's no team going to outmatch them in terms of physicality. So in terms of teams at the moment that can actually go toe-to-toe with Limerick, you have to say Galway. They always have the hurdles. There's no doubt about that. But I suppose they've just, you know, in the last, especially last year, the year they had, you kind of just had to wonder maybe where was the team at, you know, um, so many great players in the team, but how are they gelling? But like the one thing I saw from the Limerick match was, you know, they wrapped, up, they wrapped up a huge score in terms of uh, 27 points. And when Limerick or when Galway won the All-Ireland, that's the kind of scores we were looking at. You know, people were talking about, like James and Creighton for that year, was it one goal that was scored by Galway that year in, in the run-in to win an All-Ireland final? And it just seemed that this is where they were, they were playing around Limerick. You know, they didn't have to go through the middle. They were well able if they wanted. But it's just the way that they played around Limerick and caused that problem. A lot of counties are finding it hard at the moment to figure out 
where do we create the space against Limerick where Galway were able to do that. But so for Henry Shefflin, it was a great indicator. I mean, 27 points against Limerick, regardless what way you come around it. And like the scores they got were absolutely brilliant as well. Well-worked scores. And um, I just think that they have so many lads around the pitch as well that are that are chipping in. It's not a case that Conor Whelan is up front or that you have Joe Canning and you're trying to get everything through. There's so many lads chipping in um, that I just think, you know, that that's what people are looking at going, this is really good. This is where Galway were possibly 2017. Maybe they went a small bit off track since then. Like barely, marginally, only lost to Limerick, marginally not in the final. But I think they're the indicators we're looking for to see exactly gauge where 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 Galway are at and they look, they look like they're in a good place at the moment yeah. on the face of it James you look at the way right, Joe Canning retires and that takes a lot of leadership out of the team it takes a lot of scores out of the team it probably has to be shared across a little bit now like Evan Nyland you would think is perfectly set up to be the free taker we saw how remarkably well he's been hitting them for the college this year and then there's always been enough firepower within that Galway, Galway forward line and Shefflin seems determined based on the evidence of the first two games to move the ball pretty quickly through the lines and to actually feed those players and give them a chance to score. Yeah, I, I think like when everyone's talking about hurling these days, they're, they're looking at Limerick and say, how are we going to take them down? And I think uh, like in Galway's instance now, they're probably looking at themselves and say, how, how are we going to best set up ourselves to, to get the most out of ourselves? And like they, they, as Paul said, we've always had the hurlers, always and forever. It's just trying to gel it all together and make it all mix, you know. And I, peeped, I suppose some people in Galway would look at look at Evan Nyland and say, right, he's the natural successor to Joe. But at the moment, he doesn't quite, he does not offer the same sort of, I suppose, influence from play as Joe offers. So we're looking for more of a collective six or collective eight up front to produce what Joe, ultimately we're losing throughout Joe, you know. And like you went back to leadership, uh, Joe did retire, yes, but we also lost Aidan Hart, like who was a huge leader in the restaurant. And there's certain types of leader, you know, there's a leader you'll follow through play and as a leader you'll follow who's just a great commander in the dressing room, a great person to talk to, good for the people. And that was the type of person Hart was, you know. So I think in terms of losing what you're losing on the pitch, losing what we'd lost off the pitch as well in terms of Hart has to be replaced also. And I just think Shefflin's influence in having done it all, that's the first thing. He's done it all. So nobody in Galway can question him. You know, he's done it all. So if you're looking for leadership, the first place you look is Henry Shefflin. And I just think when you look at the first two games, there's been a great balance of, of scores. There's been a great a great balance of, I suppose, a lot, of, a lot of people have come on. You know, there's a young fella there, Gavin Lee. Like, I didn't even know who he was, to be honest, until this year came. Big unit, still, still in secondary school. And he's looking like he's going to be a great prospect. You know, so in fairness to Henry, he's given ample opportunity to 70, 80 players, you know, across the county now. So he's had a full look at, at them all in terms of club championships and trial games. And he's probably ha- he probably has the best 40 under his wing at the minute. And the, the more time he gets, gets with them, the better they get. And like James, after that disappointing summer that was last year, was there always hope that Galway would be able to blood a lot of good players? Because like, the production line has really been moving along. We saw how good the minor teams yeah. have been in recent years, that there's seems to be plenty of talent available to them. Yeah, I, I have to be honest. After last year, the Waterford game, and definitely after the 20 final, when Cork blitzed us, they blitzed us. They blitzed us for strength, skill. You know, Dublin blitzed us the year before, you know, in the 20 Leinster final. I, I wasn't that optimistic. I was saying, where are the guys going to come from? Like, who who is the five or six young fellas that's going to step up and be seriously influential? Because if you think back to Kenning, you know, when he's 19, 20, he was bossing the show. You know, you think of a Richie Hogan, you think of it, when these lads come on board early, they're bossing the show, you know. And, and I was thinking, who's that person? And I just couldn't find him. You know, obviously, you've got great forwards in, in Whelan and Concannon, you know, at present, right, who will do their bit, but that just that extra bit who can do, who, someone who can do everything, I didn't see. I didn't see they were there. Like, and that's and to be truthfully honest, they're still not there. That's why the collective is better at the, at the moment. The sum of all parts is better than an individual at the moment. 
Mm-hmm. And so when you piece Conor Cooney, Cahill Mannion, Conor Wheeler, and Bank of Canada, put them all together and get them developing into a system that they're all buying into and moving in the same direction, that's when you get a good goal squad. Good team. Paul, when you look at that team, like Carl Mannion is going to be so crucial during this year. I, like I was so impressed by his performance, some of his score taken against Limerick at the Gaelic Grounds. Yeah, and even to be fair to him, like last year, okay, Galway didn't hit flying form, but, you know, in the league in that, he was showing really well for Galway. Um, and he's a player that, what I think maybe they figured out with him, similar enough to David Burke, is that he links the backs and the forwards really well. And it's it's just because it's, it's so effortless to him. Like, the skill just comes so naturally to him. He's such a natural striker of the ball. He's great understanding. And like I would have marked him in, in a, let's say, corner back, even corner forward for quite a while. And I suppose... What doesn't maybe suit Cotton Mannion uh, really well is that if you're if he's in corner forward, he only really has two directions he can go. He can go one direction or he can come straight out. Whereas when he's midfield, he can drift. He can go, you know, he's working basically a 360 sort of a job where I could use the sideline to push him out to the sideline when he's marking him and maybe restricting that small bit. When he's out around the middle now, he's well able to drift and he's, you know, he's a great athlete in his own right as well. So I think that shift of bringing him out to midfield, it's, you know, over the last few years, he's really matured and he's just, he just goes about his business as well. You know, he's not very flash. And I know James was saying there about, you know, Galway having these players who just, like the likes of Joe Nash, who maybe would be just this outstanding player who would be, you know, all the supporters would have his back. But Colomani, similar enough, I suppose, to David Burke, goes into midfield, a lot of hard work. But I suppose more, most importantly, he converts what the backs are winning. When the balls are, when the balls are being won in the back, he converts that into the forwards. He, he, he brings it up to field very well. But equally, able to take his own score. So, I think from the likes of Henry Shefflin, you know, there's a few lads that he'll have automatically on the team. And I think Carl Mannion, I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer. And just the way he's playing, he's very he's very adaptable as well. You could push him up in half forward as well, or even into corner forward. So, look, again, he started very brightly at the moment. And if he's going really well, it'll it'll be a lot of heavy lifting for Galway if he's, if he's moving well. Having shared a dressing room for so many years with Henry Shefflin, was there any indication, even towards the end of, say, his playing career, that he was going to go on to become a manager. Did you always kind of think, right, Henry Shefflin will manage teams? Or what was your thinking about him going into coaching when he retired? To be honest, I, I would have thought that he would have left it a bit longer maybe because again, you know, you'd be talking on buses and stuff and lads would throw around these questions of, you know, will you go into management or whatever? And, you know, even well before he was retiring and, you know, my recollection of it was that he was saying, I oh, know, geez, I'll leave it a few years. And he did leave it a few years, but I think there was very little between him actually retiring from the club to actually going into managing Ballyhale and managing Thomastown. And then, like, taking on the Galway job is, is, is a huge job, you know, it's a huge commitment. So I, I, I always presumed, you know, that he would get the itch at some stage, but he never gave an indication when we were in dress rooms or on buses or having points after matches that he was going to say, yeah, as soon as I finish, I'm going to become a manager. And to be fair, you know, with the name he has, he could have walked into a lot of high-profile jobs, but I think he's taken really good calculated steps, you know, starting with Ballyhale with a really strong team, um, he went to Thomas Southern Intermediate with Kenny and looked did a really good job just came up a bit short but you know now he's taking a real serious intent he's kind of putting his money where his mouth is inter-county team and, um, but the one thing I do know about him is like you know what, what, what Henry a quality that I noticed with, with Galway um, especially in the Limerick match which look again I suppose we're going to have to wait and see if, if this comes to fruition that it's, it's something we're going to do every week is Henry's movement when he was off the ball was, was exceptional you know when you were marking him in training people think of him on the ball but when he was off the ball and he, he would start moving. He would move and move and he'd shout the lads to move. And for me, that was something I was looking for when he's going to Galway. Will this be something he'll implement into the Galway team that, okay, when you don't have the ball, especially the forwards, when you don't have the ball, what are you doing? What are you doing? Are you working hard? Are you looking for the ball? And this was something that he was relentless for. 
his movement off it. So that's something I've seen in, in, in the Limerick matches. Like this looks like what Henry's trying to implement. And if he does that as a back marking a Galway forward, I think that's going to be you know hugely influential for the year. I think that'll be really tough. So that's really the big thing I'm looking at with Henry at the moment is never mind, obviously we all know how skillful he was and he's going to force that side of it. But his work rate when he was off the ball was was huge in teams. I think that's something this this, this Galway team may bring to the table that we didn't see the last few years. James, are you already seen a difference in the approach from Galway? I know it's a fairly small sample size, a couple of games in the league and three games in the Walsh Cup, but in the five games or so we've seen so far, are you seeing a change in Galway's style under Henry so far? I, 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 the two things are noticeable to me, um, and the reason they're noticeable is because I look at Kikini in the past, and I think what, what's, what, what is I suppose, synonymous with Kikini in the last 20 years is just ferocious work rate and, and, and all-round tackling from everybody. And when you look at the Galway squad last year, Dublin the Waterford game, there were so many instances where they didn't lay a hand on the fella, they didn't get a tackle in, there was no collective tackling or there was no shutdown or even, like you see in rugby, the choke tackling three or four guys choking a fella, you know, holding them up. I saw that in absolute abundance in the Limerick game. You take the throw-in, Will don't know who would be classed as the Limerick enforcer or such in the middle of the field. Throw-in comes, Conor Cooney comes straight in, nails him. Will don't know who goes off with a shoulder injury. And that kind of tempo of tackle, that kind of ferociousness was carried out for the whole 70 minutes, 75 minutes. And yes, it boiled over at times, but that's, that's the fine line of it all, you see. Um, and that was from everyone. So it didn't matter if you're 6'4", 15 stone. I saw Tom Monaghan, who's probably 5'9", five, 5'10", nine, five, ten, nine, ten stone, you know what I mean? Getting stuck in. And that kind of, that work rate, that ferociousness was, was, was there everywhere. That then, and also with Kikini as well, I hate to say it, there was an, always a confidence, borderline arrogance, you know what I mean? which, which you'd love to have. <laughs> you know, you'd love to have it, right? You'd love to have it because... There's a, there's a fine line there of, of, of players when they play on a conference towards arrogant level, they're very, very effective. And you mentioned Kahamani in a moment ago, Paul. He's a very confident person. He's nearly like an arrogant player in the way he plays. Nicest fellow in the world. But he plays at such a level that you think this guy could just keep going for days. He can run for days. He can play for days because he's such trust his own ability. Against Limerick, I saw that. Every guy was playing confidently. They were playing together and they were just, just playing their game. That's all they were doing. They're the two things. Confidence from the players and ferocious work rate. That's what I've noticed so far. Paul Limerick, where we look at them after the two games, Limerick supporters will point out straight away, didn't win the first three games last year, still got it right when it came to Munster Championship and All-Ireland Championship, and this is why they've been the best team over the last three or four seasons. Is there any concern to be had from anything we've seen from Limerick in the first two games? Again, no Keane Lynch, but have they suffered a bit from maybe not having his dynamism in midfield, or is it far too early to have any concerns about Limerick this year? Yeah, I'd have no concerns about Limerick so far. And I don't think Limerick themselves would have concerns. You know, like the, there's one thing in, in with Limerick um, in the league that no other team has. And that's that every week Limerick go out, they're going to be absolutely hit at 100 miles an hour. Um, you know, they went down to Wexford. We've played in Wexford several times. And it's, it's a tough place to go, particularly then, you know, in, in, in a winter or spring match where it's windy, it's rainy. You know, there's very little room to manoeuvre. You know, the Wexford lads hit them hard. They go out the following week, then they have to play Galway. They're hit hard again. Like, I think John Kiley would be looking at it. Like for me, in the first match, John Kiley was looking at the game completely different to Derry Egan. You know, John Kiley was on about getting a few lads on. You know, took off Aaron Galan at half-time. I don't think any other inter-county team would have the capacity to take off Aaron Galan at half-time. But John Kiley is in the position at the moment. He has so many lads fighting for jerseys that... If you're not performing, and when I say performing, not that you're, you know, we all know they have the skill, but if you're not putting in the work rate, you're just coming off the pitch and that's it. And for me, for any successful team, that's the kind of position you want to get to. Okay, they've lost the first two matches, but I don't think there really there's any major concern there. Again, from, from a, I suppose, 
a training point of view, I'd be saying Limerick are weeks behind um, other teams again because they finished so late. You know, they're on the road a few years now. Um, you know, they're probably returning to training that bit later. And the window is smaller now, like with the, with the league and the championship, it's a bit smaller now. So I think where Limerick are going to be peaking, we'll start seeing build a bit of steam. Regardless what way the league goes, I think we'll see them build a bit of steam. And what John Kiley is supposed to be looking for now is looking at the likes of Colin Coughlin and these lads. Is he going to get him into the team this year? Who is he going to put in? And maybe just change personnel by two personnel. That's it. You know, from last year's all the final. I think that's the way they're approaching it. For me, with Limerick, Results don't matter at the moment. It's 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 purely personnel. Yet yeah, Keane Lynch will come back happy days. But I just think you'll also see the rest of the players once the ground starts to firm up. Once we get closer to the championship, you'll start to see that bit of I suppose that bit of trust coming back into them. That bit of I suppose you know they'll start to form together as a team. They'll get a the few more weeks under their belt. So I don't think there's and I don't think the Limerick fans are overly concerned at the moment. James, that's an important point about trying to blood some new players in because one of the arguments about the Slimerick dynasty is that they've achieved this with 20 or so core players that have generally played and John Kiley has had a fairly fixed starting 15 over the last couple of years in particular. In order to keep things going, where you're talking about hunger, where you're talking about form and you're trying to run All-Ireland after All-Ireland, depth probably has to be added into the panel and you have to blood those players now if he's going to know who he has this summer. Yeah, like I think if you were to talk to like any kind of, I suppose, professional athlete, uh, particularly in team sports, they'd always tell you that the reason that the professionals push themselves so well is because the guys come behind them are pushing them. So like we, we would have had a talk from John Muldoon before in the past, uh, the Conor Flanker, and he was saying that you know he would always strive to be pushing if he's in the Irish squad, trying to get after, let's say, Stephen Ferris, trying to get after those guys and keep keep pushing because you never know when a chance is going to become available. You know, And the same thing applies to, to inter-county squads. Like you're only like one to fifteen. Obviously, they're they're the main guys. And Limerick have have been very well conditioned. They've been relatively injury free, to my knowledge. Well, I don't know who's the first guy who's actually been injured in the last couple of years. I can't remember anybody else offhand. I know Aaron Glenn had a small knock on the ribs a couple of years ago. That's as much as they have seen from Limerick. So they've had no real injury issues. And I think that's on one side of it. The second side of it is is can you maintain a high performing environment with with people like like Colin O'Neill came in the last day. And he lit up the show. You know what I mean? So if those kind of guys are pushing, 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 the guys who are classed as the regular starters or the automatic starters have to up their game also. And it's about continuous improvement. You'll always hear a successful team say, what went on last year won't be good enough for this year. That's probably the same case in Limerick, you know, because every team is trying to up their game and surpass them. So Limerick have to keep improving already as well. And with that, by doing, by with that, they have to improve personnel. They have to improve the guys they already have and the guys come behind them. But, um, Interesting point about, I see what Paul has said, what he was saying about Limerick fans not worried. It's just because it's got the same feel of it as last year. You know, they're in the same situation as last year. You know, a couple of tricky games on Watford, so be it. I think there's no panic station at all with Limerick. I think it's exactly what they want. I think John Kiley would love this, you know, because he's creating an environment now where it's about, it's nearly like an us versus them, us versus the rest environment and kind of a siege mentality. Let's take them all on. But I think Limerick are in a very good position. Well, it guarantees as well, James, there's no complacency to be had from Limerick either. And look, yeah. we saw last year when Aaron Galan dipped out of form a little bit, he dropped for the Munster final. Now he comes on and has a big impact when he comes on in the game. But John Kiley had no problem taking a star forward out and not starting him if he feels he's not doing enough. Yeah, absolutely. And if you go back to the Wexford game, uh, I think Seamus Lanigan came on at halftime and I don't believe he touched the ball, which sounds astounding. You know, I, he may have touched it once. I could be open to, mistake, to open to correction, but from watching the game in the second half, didn't get near the ball. And that's just so unlike him. Like he's the, the Limerick pattern of play allows Aaron Gillan and allows Seamus Flanagan and Peter Casey to completely 
open defences up and take scores from all sides. So that's the first time I've seen Limerick really shut down. So I said there's going to be a great, a lot of, um, I won't say harsh realities coming to coming to, to Limerick training over the next couple of weeks, but it's just, it's kind of it's a realisation that they're not invincible, you know? You know, they're not invincible and everyone's coming for them because when you're the top dog, you know, you're there to be knocked down. <laughs> Simple as that, you know? <laughs> Paul, I'm going to use the phrase Defenders Union for the first time. It'll probably come up a few times in the pod when we have a goalkeeper and a former cornerback who we're talking us through hurling each week. Um, but I, I put up on Twitter about the Kyle Hayes pass, which comes in for Galan, which was just a beautiful long diagonal, perfectly into Galan's hand for the goal. But Joerty, the former Offaly defender, tweeted me back straight away and he said, my concern about Hayes is it might be a forward's dream, the ball that he's putting in, but he needs to become a forward's nightmare at the other end. Was there a case that some of Limerick's defending was a little bit too lax in that game against Galway? Yeah, I suppose it's something that lads were critical about. Um, even, in, even in the first match there against, uh, against Wexford, you know, like the Wexford forward in, okay, took 15 steps, but, you know, there was lads even being critical that maybe they didn't nail, nail him, you know, when he was going in. So I think it, it is probably maybe something that when they're returning, it's something, again, John Kiley will have his finger on the pulse of as well as really like, and when you go back and look at these matches, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing when you do the video analysis, you can see it creeping in in small different areas. You know, last year where he would have went back and he made a tackle or he would have burst the gut to get back for an 80-20 ball. Is the player making the run at the moment? Like, are the indicators there? So certainly for the Galway match, it's a fair point that's being made. You know, it's all well and good when you're going forward, but your role is a defender. You know, you have to get the bodies in over the ball. Again, when you look at it, regardless what way you want to look at it, in the Galway match, Limerick conceded 27 points. Okay, we're giving Galway credit for how they created it. But at the end of the day, where did that 27 points come from? How did they concede that many? And straight away where you're looking there is that that middle third we all talk about now is the half-back line of which Kyle Hayes involved in, the midfield and half-forward. That's where that, the majority of that 27 points, whether you like it or not, is going to come from. So it's a fair point, And it's something I think John Kiley will be looking at. Another thing, again, like what, what I think John Kiley would be looking at is the likes of the last 15 minutes in the Wexford match. In Limerick didn't score, which is, you know, you can't you can't be doing that. Is ever didn't score from player, didn't score. I'm, I know they got a free Tom Arcee was foul going in, but I'm fairly sure the last 15 minutes they didn't score. The likes of those few things where you're taking off your Aaron Galan for potentially the work rate, and then you're not scoring in the last 15 minutes. You know, those are things he'll be looking at going, hang on here for a second, lads. You know, are we forgetting our jobs here? You know, it's grand that we're winning all Ireland and everyone's patting us on the back. But these are the things you're looking for to go this is where we lose the year now if we keep doing these scenes. We keep accepting that it's okay for me to give in an absolutely brilliant ball to Aaron Galan, corner forward, and he scores a goal. But do I turn around and give away three points at the other end, which I can I can pawn it off and say it's someone else's fault? Or do I take, you know, do, do I take account for it and say that that's my position? I should be winning it, I should be defending. So it's a fair point. And look, it just reads black and white. You know, they, they are conceding more than they're scoring. So it's one thing going forward, but unless you're defending the coming back and they still go back to that 27 points against Galway, whether you like it or not, or how well Galway are moving, if you're conceding 27 points in most matches, you're not going to win. So even in this day and age of high scores, you're not going to win. So it's it's a big thing and certainly something I'm sure the, the Limerick players will be looking internally at, but I'd be looking at it very quickly if I were any of them because I can, you can be sure, you know, John Kiley will be looking at it. So it's, it is something they, they, they definitely need to look at over the next few weeks. Yeah, well, look, Paul, you can give us an insight into this, what it's like when you're going to try and defend titles and go year on year. Do you kind of naturally drop off a few percent or does it maybe tell a lot about a group where they're able to go at the same standard for a sustained period of time? Yeah, it, it depends. Like, it, it changes a lot. Um, like, I, I remember, let's say, in early 2012, we're after coming off the back of 
um, winning the All-Ireland in 2011. But there was also a lot of players there that had suffered that big defeat in 2010. So there was obviously, you know, whether that was fuel or not, I don't know. It wasn't me that experienced it, so I don't know. But I remember in early 2012, you know, we'd, we'd went away, you know, we'd, we'd had our holiday, we came back and we just hit the ground running in 2012. You know, we, I think we actually played Galway up in the Welsh Cup in, in Salt Hill. And we were, we were just moving really well and you couldn't put your finger exactly on why it was happening, but it was just happening, you know. Whereas when you go to 2014, 2015, you know, you come back to the league. We didn't, we didn't necessarily have a brilliant league that year because, and for again, for whatever reason, it just has to be analysed. Like each year is different. You might have a few players retire, which we had at the end of 2014. We had a lot of players step away. So you're trying to fill them gaps. Whereas in 2011, 2012, we didn't have that. So I think teams, look, Limerick didn't have that stepping away. So what they have going for them is they have that continuity. But like James was saying, where Limerick are at the moment, they have to look at it from the point of view. One, are our feet coming off the ground? Because that's the most dangerous thing after winning All-Ireland is the feet coming off the ground. You may be not training the day. Last year, I would have trained the same day. I would have put in the extra effort. I would have went to the ball alley. Today, This year, I'm going to go a small bit kinder on myself. The likes of those things are the things you're looking for and you're looking for them to bolster with the new lads coming through. So where I think Limerick are... It's probably quite similar to us in 2011-2012. If, if you're going to go, let's say, you're going about two or you're going about three, it's basically that they have a core of a team there. But if one or two of those lads, if Declan Hannon drops, who's there to replace Declan Hannon? I don't know if there's anyone there to replace Declan Hannon in the role that he does. You might have plenty of lads to replace, you know, Seamus Flanagan or Aaron Galan, but look at these key roads. Do I have the lads to step in? So I think that's where they're looking for. They shouldn't question motivation. They should be enjoying it. They should be loving what they're doing at the moment. They're winning. They're in a good place. Um, so I don't think that'll be the question. I suppose what they'll be looking at is to make sure the feet aren't coming off the ground. And that's no slight of any limit there. It just happens to people when they're winning. That you're winning and you kind of believe the hype a small bit and you maybe you'll go a small bit softer on yourself. So that's where I think Limerick are. Um, that's where the danger could be that. But I don't think, I think they seem to have a great, you know, Paul Clark seems to have a great hold of it. John Kiley seems to have a great hold of it. So those are just a few things that you have to consider when you're trying to go year on year. Yeah. James, how did you find that experience coming off, say, the winter training of 2017 into 2018? Particularly, like, in Galway's case, where you've bridged a gap that's so long. Did it change in any way when you went back in for that 18 season? Um, I wouldn't say it changed. I think we had, uh, I think we had a, a group of players and a manager who understood that we, we should have won more previously. And that also understood that we have to win more. Like I remember Ollie Canning saying it after Port Tumna won one of the All-Irelands, you know, the second third one, that they recognised they had a great group, so they want to make hay while the sun is shining, because the day might come again. And I won't say that was kind of the feeling, but that was certainly the motivation that like we think we can do it again, you know. We're at, we came off the back of a, I suppose, a powerful year in 17, whereby we 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 got through everyone really, you know, and there was a sense that you could do it again. So I think there was there was a sense of urgency from me, Hall, that he had to get back to work straight away, get the holiday park that stuff up, park going to national schools, park going around to different clubs, you know, and bringing the cup. Because obviously you can imagine there was great excitement in Galway because it hadn't been there for near on 30 years. So everyone wanted to get a, get a view of the cup. And if the cup goes somewhere, our players to go somewhere. So I think he was conscious of distraction, parking that aside when the new year came along, getting back to work. And did get back to work. In fairness, I have to say that 2018 was, was a relatively successful enough year. You know, um, I think we just ran out of steam. Simple as that. I just think we, there was a, a match too many. Um, that man there was part of a team that brought us to another game that we didn't want to be part of, you know, <laughs> same with Clare. But it just, it got to the stage where we met a really fresh, hungry Limerick team. I won't say we weren't fresh and hungry. We, we were, we were hungry, definitely. Freshness is a different story, but we met a team in the Limerick that just had more, more of it on the day. If we played them again the day after, who knows what would happen, you know. But in terms of motivation, in terms of 
the, the, you know, the will to succeed, the want to do a lot. It was all there. You know, it was all there. There was no question. I, I, I do wonder sometimes when, I, when you look at the likes of Dublin, who did the five in a row, like six in a row, and you look at Kenny, who did three, four, how do they maintain operations? You know, how do you keep the guys on feet in the ground? How do you stop them from going out every second weekend and just, you know, reveling in all the glory of what they've, what they've achieved, you know? And I think that comes from the group. It comes from a, a strong manager and a group. And I suppose just that 30 or 40 or 50 people who are in that group wanting more, more success, more success, and not getting distracted by people on the outside, people who have no idea what it's like to be inside in the group, you know, and that takes a special group. And that's why you look at Limerick nowadays and you think, Jesus, have they the capability to go three, four, five? And like right now, they, prob- they possibly have, because you look at John Kiley, you look at Paul Knurk, as Paul said, and they've got, got really good guys over them. I won't say they're, they're dictatorial, you know what I mean? But they, they certainly carry a great presence about them. You look at the interviews and the way they speak, um, whether it was Knurk talking to them in the water breaks or, or Kylie after, after a match, they talk with great authority and, and like they're, they're, they're good speakers. So you'd imagine the group is, is well in tune with what they're trying to achieve, you know? And, and as a management group, they're never going to settle for one, two, three. They want as many as they can get, you know? So I think um, Limerick are still a force going to be reckoned for, not just this year, but a lot of years, lads, you know? Just before we move off Limerick then, Paul, I'll give you a first shout. I'll ask both of you about the Gerard Hegarty instant where he gets sent off. And you know, a lot of the talk afterwards were that this was maybe a red card that was coming for Hegarty for some time. He went in very hard on Joe Canning a couple of years previously and Galway supporters were very quick to point that out um, when they were discussing the red card. Uh, we had Don Logue have his diatribe about it on the TV and saying that maybe referees are now going to be acutely aware of some of Limerick's physicality and Gerard Hegarty what was your take on the red card, Paul? Yeah, like I mean, sure it was a red card. And I think Gerard Hegarty would be the first to say it was a red card. He lost the head and he and he reacted and he got a red card. And for me, that's the punishment. You know, you're sent off and you're done. And but leave it there. Like for me, there was no more to it. I, I was actually, you know, I thought it was a small bit cynical from from Don Lope when he said it was he had it a long time coming. Like Gerard Hegarty does play on the edge, and you could reframe that by saying you have a red card coming a long time if you're doing that. But you know, he has put in a few tackles that people wouldn't like, you know, especially opposition supporters won't like. But for me, I'm looking at that going, that's where I need my best players to be playing. I'm not condoning him going out and doing what he did to Joe Canning or Anthony, but his mindset is he's willing to play right up. Like, and lads used to give out about Tommy Welch and these lads. And for me, where I think it's at with Limerick at the moment, and I, I don't mind people disagreeing with me on it, is they're, they're in their place. Like, they're the champions. They're the win. Like, people... They're now, I suppose, suffering that thing of where people are coming out to kind of attack them. And it's funny, smaller teams usually have a siege mentality or try and get the siege mentality that everyone hates us. In, in this case, in Ireland, we have the champions of the siege mentality because, you know, we have Keane Lynch feeling hard done by being sent off in the Fitzgibbon final. We have Gerard Hegarty. Okay, he'd be the first to say he deserved to be sent off. But now, I suppose he wasn't maybe expecting the sentiment afterwards that people are saying he had this coming a long time and so on. If he hadn't come in a long time, blame the referees. Don't blame Gerard Hegarty because if maybe if he did get sent off a while ago, he might have tailored it back a small bit. But he's just seeing where he can test the waters and push it. Now, that was the exception. It was a red card. And it wasn't the case that it was treading the line. It was a red card. It was done. But for me, at the, for me, I, I just don't think like there's much more to it. He got a red card. He's a fiery player. He plays on the edge. But I don't think it deserves much more than a witch hunt after him. That would be... You know, he has this coming a long time and he's a 50 player. To be honest, if I had a five-a-side team, I'd be picking Gerard Hegarty probably first in my team because he brings a lot to the table. So for me, I'm very much in the Gerard Hegarty camp. And I know people wouldn't uh, <laughs> wouldn't support me in that. But look, I I recognise the type of player he is and I, I enjoy seeing him on the pitch every week. And 
it was a red card, but that's for me, that's it done. He was sent off, finished, leaving it at that. Go on, what's your take on this? <laughs> oh, Jesus, I don't know. It's our first day out now, and I have to go after Paul now as well. No, Joe and Gary Jagger, Joe, he's like, now, I remember we, we played Cork years ago, and Jordan Nan spoke about John Gardner, and I remember he said, I hate him, but I'd love to have him. Do you know what I mean? You hate playing yeah. against him because of what he is like and everything he stands for in the, in the Corkness, which you'd love to have him in your squad, you know? And yeah. that applies to Gary Jagger. Like, I, when he's against us, I can't stand him. I cannot stand him. And I want to get after him every second. That's why any bit of a schmuzzle that started the last day when Galway to Limerick, every guy was after Hegarty. Do you notice that? Yeah. That's because he's their main guy. And if you're going mm-hmm. after a team, you have to go after their main guy and take him down. Simple as that. You know? And like I will say, something came to my mind there when, in the 12 replay of that Ireland, you know, Irritani had got man the match the first day. And on the throw in, bang, Finley hits his ankle, right? And you can say it's accidental, and you can say whatever you want, right? <laughs> and goes down, his influence is gone. And I was saying, Jesus, I hate Finley, but I'd love to have him. You know, yeah. and that's the way I look at this. And let me play on the edge. Um, I, I, was it a red card? Absolutely. And I have to say, I did tweet the, uh, live that it was, I just said it was time for him. It was a bit cryptic, but <laughs> people picked up on it. Do you know what I mean? And I do think, look at the incident itself deserved red card. And I think people, when you look at Limerick, they look at the Galan incident uh, in the Munster final against Tipperary. They look at probably the Kyle Hayes incident against Waterford down the league. And they just say there was a bit of, you know, as some counties feel, feel egregious. You know, so I, I think he does, we're time for a Limerick lad to get sent off against Galway. <laughs> well, does that mean, James, they're going to be refereed slightly differently this summer then? Because like this conversation is happening now. Don Logan said it in the TV. A week later, Keane Lynch gets what's seen as a pretty uh, controversial red card in the Fitz final. Are Limerick going to be ref differently now that this is the narrative? I, I, I certainly hope not. I, I love the way inter-county games are refereed. You know, if I, I fully believe if you... If, if there was two club teams playing the way inter-county teams play, like you'd have a million frees with club referees the way the, the way they're refereeing nowadays. I love the way the likes of Fergal Horgan and these lads just let it go. You know what I mean? I, I have, and we, we'll, we'll probably touch on the Keane Lynch red card in, in a few moments, but I have sympathy for Fergal Horgan for where he stands. But I think the game needs to be played the way Limerick play it. High octane, intense, physical, you know, aggressive. That's the way Hurland, that's the way true Hurland people want the game to be played. You can pick on little slaps here and there, and little whatever. That's, no, that's irrelevant as far as I'm concerned. We want a physical game. We want a fast game. We want the biggest, strongest and best players to go at it toe-to-toe and see who comes out on top. And we want a free-flowing. We don't want a game of freeze. You know? So I, I'm hoping that referees will look at the, the Hegarty incident and the Lynch incident and say they're isolated. They're, they're just unique to, the, to that, that specific incident and just let, let the game play. You know? Right, let's segue to a team who've got two wins from two so far and that's Wexford who went to Clare and backed up that win, Paul, that they got against uh, Limerick on the first day. What have you seen so far from Dara Egan that maybe is different to Davy Fitz's Wexford, where it seemed to me at least the steam had gone out a little bit after 2019, and then we saw a bit of an, a you know a drop off in their hunger and a drop off in their performance over the last couple of summers. But to me, this looks pretty interesting, at least from my untrained eye, that they're getting the ball in very directly now to Conor McDonald, and we saw Rory O'Connor when he was back fit and available against Clare. They're getting good quick ball into that forward line. What have you made of Wexford from the first two games we've seen? Yeah, I think it's it's two big games for them to win. Like obviously, Darry Egan wants to go out of the traps, and it's not easy with a Limerick match. I'd say he just wanted the first match. Let's say before the fixtures, target that match, get a win, get I suppose a good bit good feeling going. It just happened to be Limerick, which was an enormous win for them down in Wexford Park. But they hurled really well, and the shift of let's say Natalie Hanlon back to corner back for me, I couldn't get over how big of a shift it was that. The likes of himself and Liam Ryan back there. It's like they brought their launching pad back a small bit. And now Matthew Hanlon pretty much just has to attack out with the ball. 
Um, Conor McDonald, like you said, you kind of have him anchored on the edge of the box before. Like with Davy, Conor McDonald could kind of pop up anywhere. Some days it suited Conor McDonald, other days it didn't because he was kind of chasing the game a small bit. So I think from what we see at the moment, he's kind of telling him, listen, stay towards the edge of the box. We'll get that ball in there. Now, if the short passes on, we're popping it over. Happy days. But to go down to Clare and win by three points, Clare's not an easy place to go. And this is not a simple place to go and win a match, regardless what form we want to say Clare are in. But it's two huge wins for them. So for me, what I see with Wexford at the moment is like, look, Davy is very, I suppose, charismatic manager. He's motivational. But a lot of it sometimes seems to come from Davy as well, which I'm sure can get tiring for himself and for players. You know, how often, let's say, I think it was up in Solid Hill a few years ago, James, that, you know, Davy got sent off and went up to the stand. But it was kind of at a crucial time in the game. So Davy would do these things. And even up in Antrim, I think he did the same thing, got sent off again, which in Antrim didn't make a difference because he just had to step behind the railing and he was still talking to the players. So like, it seemed to be a lot of it was coming from Davy. Whereas with Dara Egan, like, he seems to be very composed on the line, which is a huge thing. And a lot of it is now coming from the players. Like, they're great. They seem to be a very motivated bunch of players anyway. And no doubt are carrying over a lot of the stuff they learned with Davy. But I thought it might be tough for Dara Egan um, stepping into a role in Davy because it's not easy, I suppose, follow Davy fits into a job, I'd imagine, because, you know, as, as we would see legacy from other inter-counties that have had Davy, it's, it's, it's tough to fill that void. Whatever he does, whatever he does in the job, it can be tough to fill it. But Dara Egan seems to have stepped in there and fair play to him has put his own mark on it. And it just seems to be coming from the players. He's organised the players. They know their job. And I kind of maybe expected to see a bit more of a tired Wexford this year after the last few years of, you know, putting in really good performances and playing a really high-tempo game. But they seem to be even fresher again. So at the moment, they're in a great place. In many ways, it's delighted for Dara Egan. You know, it's, it's not a simple thing to do. And I'm looking forward to seeing more from Wexford because they are playing a good brand of hurling. Yeah, like James, not easy to start the season the way they have. Like the conventional wisdom was when Lee Chin is out physically, they can struggle with some of the matchups. Didn't have Lee Chin against Limerick, still found a way to win. Rory O'Connor had that injury coming off the hamstring issue for the first game, was able to come back in the last day. Like we talk about, say, Limerick's absences in Wexford Park for that first game, but Wexford were without a couple of their key players for that match. Yeah, like <clears throat> when I was watching the Wexford Limerick game, I wrote down a note and it was freeze. And like the freeze were a problem for, Lim- for Wexford in that game. Their free checker, you know, it was hit and miss. They're probably operating an efficiency rate about 50%. Any successful team you see nowadays, their efficiency is 90, 95% from free. So that was a question that Wexford will come away. And like, like we're on about John Kyle earlier on, Dar Egan is, is just looking for something to, to pick on that they can improve on. And I think when I was looking, I, I wrote down there about uh, fatigue with Paul Nunes out there. And that, that, that could happen, let's say, when you think of how hard Fitzy teams do, do, do train, you know. I, I was... God, I was part of them myself at saying they, they still haunt me now to this day. But like you, he had three or four years consistent hard training. They would always be the fittest team in January, February, March. Always. You'd always meet a very, very tough Wexford team that you find it hard to keep up with. And they were there for playing down their own ground. They'd always be the fittest team because you can tell they have the most training done the earliest. And there, so there could be the possibility of fatigue. Now, now when you get Dar Egan, I get the sense when I look at him, um, he's just a real kind of professional coach. You know what I mean? People in his club could angle the talk. They talk very well about him. He said he's a very shrewd operator. He's kind of ahead of his years in terms of his knowledge of the game. He's a really good coach. He was with Tommy Larkins here up the road in the Galway Club Championship. They raved about him as being kind of a mind, you know, a scholar of the game, let's say. So you look at him and think that he's only going to be a positive influence on Wexford lads who already, as we said, train hard. They want to win, we know, because they're always competitive. And when you mix that with the professionalism of Dar Egan and the way he's probably, he views the game and the way he wants to structure it, You've got a good recipe there. You know, I'm not going to say they're going to win the Ireland and challenge Limerick, but I'm saying they're certainly going to put themselves 
in a position to be in a position to challenge, you know. So I, I think if you're looking at a set, if you're looking at the outset and you'd say, right, are the teams in a position right now where they thought they'd be? I don't know, would, would Wexford see themselves having two out of two one, you know? Would they, would they see themselves having taken down Limerick and going away to clear? But I think they'd be delighted with it, you know? I think that they've got momentum now after coming through the Walsh Cup and momentum is a huge thing in team sport and they, they can build on that now. There's a, there's a huge game at the weekend when you consider it's the top of the table stuff, let's say. Whoever wins this will be in poor position to go through to a semi-final. So I think this, this I know there's two big tests for Wexford in the last two weeks, but this week now is the big test. Can they take down Galway? Can they... Can they get a result against those and put themselves into prime position for semi-final? It's Mountwater, isn't it, Paul? I mean, two teams were in great form going into this match. I kind of wondered about Wexford coming off the Walsh Cup final where Dublin gave him a good scutcheon a week out from the league and you're wondering where Wexford really at going into that Limerick game. I mean, they've answered those questions in the first two and we'll have a very good gauge at the end of this weekend come Sunday afternoon where Galway and Wexford are at once that game finishes. Yeah, it's, it's probably the first three weekend because we have a small bit of form to go by to see where, where teams are at and which is funny as well because Galway took a beating off Dublin as well in, in, in the Welsh Cup and we were kind of saying, you know, Henry came out and said Galway were hurting. Look at Jesse James Smirkin there now. I don't know whether they're really hurting after a Welsh Cup match. But it's funny now that we're sitting here, we're saying Wexford and Galway, two teams that, like this is a real kind of a, a match to test the waters. Now it's not simple, but the Salt Hill again is, is not easy. So it'll be interesting to see now with like the two game cells. We're talking about Galway playing around Limerick, but we're talking about Wexford getting absolutely stuck into each team. So it's it's kind of, you know, it, this is this is exactly what you want. It's very hard to call. And I think as well from, from I suppose, Henry and Dara Egan's side as well, it's a tough one for them as well because there's a small, not that there's a small bit of unknown, but like, you know, both teams have done really well against their opposition and they've, they've, they've chopped and changed a small bit and, you know, they were able to play going long and they were able to play going short. So it's, they're kind of going toe-to-toe now. But again, look, it, it's one match. Um, it could go either way over the weekend, not to be sound too cliche. It could go either way. There's nothing going to be hugely lost after it. But I suppose as we're stepping into the league now, it's the first time we're really seeing a match that, OK, this will tell us a nice bit now about maybe going forward and really where the two teams are at. But their two teams mentally, they seem to be in a good place. And from a hurling point of view, physical seems to be in an excellent place as well. So very hard to call it, but you'd have to just give it to Limerick, or sorry, give it to give it to Galway on the back of going to Limerick to the Gaelic grounds, and that they are racking up a big score and they're tough to play in Salt Hill. So I'll let I'll take that one for James, so he doesn't seem biased. But you know, you'd have to kind of just I suppose give give you give Galway a small bit of the edge in this one. Mm, on the face of it like two really tasty fixtures this weekend uh, you got Limerick and Cork repeated the All-Ireland final and even with the way Dublin have started uh, that game against Tipperary is intriguing at Temple Stadium on Saturday we, look, we might just use the power rankings as a jump off point to look at where some of the rest of the teams are because this is a chance for you guys to slate me as to where the power rankings have moved to so I have made some changes after the first two weeks and a big mover, James Kelly, we'd like to know, are Galway, who started off in ninth place. I tried to explain it at the time that it was based on last year. A lot of Galway supporters didn't realise that and thought that I was saying that Galway were the ninth best team in the country. They overlooked the fact that I said multiple times, lads, I think Galway would be much closer to the top four, probably inside the top four, than anywhere near ninth place. But still, people tweeted me at half three in the morning on the Saturday after they'd had a few jars. Two Galway supporters tweeted me the minute that full time went in the Gaelic grounds. I'm quite honoured that the first thing they thought of was to 
to tweet me with a clown emoji uh, when they're on their way out of Limerick after the game. I would have been happy enough to just beat the All Ireland champions. Uh, but this is what the these are the power of the power rankings. I've inspired Galway up the table, and here they are in a new place of fourth position. So right, here's where we're at with them, and you guys can argue at the top. We'll give you the top four and let you guys argue for or against this now. So I've put Limerick still at number one, despite the fact they've lost the first two games because they've got so much say, good results in the bank from the last two years. I'm not going to drop them on the base of you know two narrow enough defeats. I kept Cork in second place, who I put up after the first round because of the way that they uh, went through Clare in the first round. And you can't really drop them based on what was a fairly facile victory against Offaly last time around. They had three goals scored in the first 14 minutes of that game. You can almost write that off as an easy win. Waterford are in third place. Waterford, again, so comfortable. Middle third of that game, they banged in goals against Leash, scored seven in all, went over the 50-point marker. I don't think you can uh, drop or raise them based on that performance where they went through them. I put Galway up to fourth place because I think you have to respect what they did against Limerick. Very comprehensive performance, beating the All-Ireland champions in their own patch. And then I've dropped Tipperary slightly, and I'm sure Tip fans are going to have a go at me here after two wins uh, where they won against Leash but weren't totally convincing first time out. And then they got the victory last time out against Kilkenny in a game, I think, where the teams were level eight or nine times. Go on, tell me what's wrong with the top five is the start here. Okay, I'll tell you what, right? So, so you're, you're using, I think, I suppose, results of the past to determine your fixture, your, 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 uh, I suppose your rankings at the moment. I, I've taken a completely different approach and I, I'm just going present time, right now, what I see in front of me since, since the start of the league, right? And my rankings, I have... Galway first. No, I have Wexford first. I have Wexford first, right? Uh, <laughs> and we can debate that. I think, <laughs> right? We can debate that. I have to be kind of sort of tactical here as well. I have Wexford first, a good steam build up, right? I have Cork second. I have uh, Tipperary third, Galway fourth, Watford fifth. So that's right. So I, it's much in the line of the minute, right? That, that's present tense. Now I come back to you next week. That could all change again. Do you know what I mean? So I, I, I'm, I understand the rankings. You can be kind of sidetracked with what with how impressive Limerick were last year in the championship. Of course you are. New year, let's just go go afresh. So I'm thinking, and give it give merits to, to the people and the teams for the results they produce in, in, in today, you know? So Paul, go on, rip it there, Paul. <laughs> what are you going to do? Uh, I suppose you can look at it and we're approaching it from different angles. I suppose I'm trying to find somewhere in the middle, like we're talking power rankings, we're talking who's most likely the most powerful teams that are going to have an influence on, on the on the year as a whole, you have to take last year into consideration. Again, what we're looking at this year, like me, for me, Limerick stay on top. Like again, if you want to go on form, yeah, grand, but that's what the league table is there for to tell you who's on form. If we're talking overall, who I think is in control of this year, I would be saying Limerick at the moment. I think Watford myself at the moment are most likely, I mean, Cork didn't lay a hand on them in the All-Ireland final. I suppose it'd be easy to call Cork, but who gave them the hardest game? You have to go with Watford. And again, Watford hurling without the Bally Gunner lads are putting in savage performances. You know, Bally Gunner lads come back in absolutely flying form. I think Lonnie Bolstrom. This thing is tricky enough then. So, like, that'd be one and two for me. I think for the next three, it, it is quite tricky then. Um, I suppose Cork people won't like me that I'm, that I'm sliding them right down, but I'd actually go at Galway Wexford uh, three and four again, just because of the results they've had. And that is more so on the moment of what we're seeing at the moment. But Based on, okay, Galway had a bad year last year and some people might criticise me that I have Limerick on top, but Galway had a bad year last year. But again, just what I'm seeing with Galway, with the St. Thomas's lads as well, who would, you know, a last gasp goal against TJ, otherwise they would have been in the Ireland final, you know, um, like said, Finton Burke coming back and just hurling absolutely remarkably. From what I'm seeing from Galway and the big scores, I'm putting Galway three, 
I'd be putting Wexford in four in fairness to them. Like two big results there. Again, like we said, they look even like rejuvenated. They didn't look like they were out on their feet last year, but they look rejuvenated again um, under Darry Egan. And then look, I think after that, I might just let, not, not that I'll let Cork slip into fifth, but look, again, they had one match against Clare, where in fairness, they racked up a huge score, a bit of a dead rubber against Offaly that you couldn't tell a whole lot from. So I suppose for me anyway, once you get down to fifth, sixth, seventh, it kind of gets a little bit blurred there. But look, like I said, I think it's Nimerick, Waterford, Galway, Wexford at the moment for me. Yeah, look, I think genuinely there's very little between, say, like third, fourth position and even eighth in this one. It's actually, I think these are going to be fairly volatile with the way that they're going to move up and down over the next few weeks. And even the games this weekend are probably going to tell an awful lot. Like, to be fair, James, when it comes to Cork, we'll probably know an awful lot more about Cork after they play against Limerick this weekend. Yeah, you will. And like, I think when you think back at the league game they played against Limerick last year, they, they were decimated. I, think they, they, I know they were, they were only a couple of weeks out from the Munster Championship and Cork chose to start or to sit a couple of their main starters and ended up having to bring them on at half time and still got, got walloped. You know, so I'm very interested to see what kind of team Cork put out, uh, what kind of reports take to the game, like how much energy they're going to put into going after Limerick now that they've seen how to get after Limerick. You know, the, I think the physical approach is number one. Getting at the Limerick backs is is key, you know, stopping the supply of ball inside. So I'm interested to see how the Cork forwards will it will it tackle. Historically, the Cork forwards would be lovely silky hurlers, you know, very nice hurlers, very good shooters, great skill, can do not make the ball and, and the hurl talk. But in terms of physicality and toughness and tackling, it just generally isn't there. And you have to have that when you're playing against Limerick. So this week's going to tell an awful lot. And then the following week, they have another big game coming up at home against Galway. So there's a big fortnight for them. Yeah, like your your old buddy Tommy Walsh was saying last year, Paul, and off the ball that he really fancied Cork to be able to put it up to Limerick if they met against each other. But the evidence based on the meetings last year is that Limerick seemed to have Cork's number in all the occasions that they met each other in 2021. Yeah, yeah. And like the, the big thing that I was, you know, after seeing Cork against Kilkenny, like, I mean, in the semi-final last year, okay, it was a big win for Cork, but you could also pick out lots of areas where if Kilkenny were that more, I suppose, efficient with the ball and they stick to the game plan. They, they probably could have turned over Cork, so there wasn't a whole lot in it. But I think what a lot of teams, what the killing thing about the final last year was, you know, the likes of Watford would have been looking at it going like, you know, realistically, we were the team to play Limerick in an All-Ireland final because what was, I think, surely the Cork lads would be disappointed with last year was that they just didn't lay a hand on them. And the thing is that you won't catch Limerick doing that. Limerick won't go out and not lay a hand on you. Limerick won't go out and not, you know, get stuck in and get their scores and get their goals and threaten and get in your face. Where there is a there is a chance that Cork will go out off the back, and it's usually off the back of a good result. They'll have a great result and they'll go out the following week. And this is where we're talking about the feet coming off the ground or call it whatever you want. They don't they don't back it up the following week. And that's yeah. for me is is the problem with Cork. And they haven't addressed that. So like for me, when I'm looking at the power rankings and saying for the year and Cork coming up, Cork, yeah, they're they're hurling well at the moment, you know, matching Parky Creeve. And then again playing awfully but since the All-Ireland final, you know, we've seen very little from Cork to say that that's going to change that. Okay, they might go and upset someone's ear, but are they going to really get the bit between the teeth? Like the likes of Wexford or this might actually get the bit between the teeth and really go at teams. Whereas I just don't see that from Cork. Like James said, lovely hurlers and they'll get great scores. If you if you give them the space, they'll get it. But I think any team that's going to play Cork will look at them and say, let's hit them hard, let's close up the space and they won't, they won't like it. And that's, that's, until they show something different, I think that's the way I look at Cork. Yeah. 
James, when it comes to, we'll look, we'll look at the 6-10 to 10 in a moment, but just that brings up the point on Clare after their defeat against Cork last time out and then they lost to, sorry, in the first round of Wexford in the second round. They go to Offaly, who have had a pretty miserable return so far to the top flight. You would think they go to Sullimore this weekend, get their win. But how much damage has been done by losing Colin Galvin just before the season was due to start? He announced his retirement, kind of added to the fact that Tony Kelly's been carrying his injury through the winter as well. Yeah. It's kind of been a, a tough start to the year for the banner so far. It is like, and you think you would think like numerically, uh, Clare needs the likes of Colin Gallagher, they need Tony Kelly, the guys who, who carry major influence, probably one and three, John Conlon, probably number two in terms of influence in Clare. You take two of those guys out, and it just, I, I just, I felt from the two games watching both of them against Cork and Wexford, there was kind of a sense of disorientation, like, you know, there was no real. I feel like there's no structure. Do you know what I mean? That there was no real plan. Probably was a plan, don't get me wrong, but it just didn't come across that way on the television. And that there was an awful lot of individual displays. I thought the defending was quite poor in both games. A lot of scores given up. Like Rory Connor had the freedom at the park in Innes there, there last week. Uh, I don't know, you can't, you can't allow top quality forwards that. You need to make you know life practically hell for them. You know That's what the good teams do. They make life hell for forwards. And I just didn't think that, I didn't see that, that physicality, that aggressiveness from Clare. You know, they had a great... I think they had a good they had a good year last year. You know, they, obviously they didn't they didn't come away with I suppose real silverware, but they made great grounds. And I was kind of tip with them this year that on on the, on the third year of Brian Lohan's um, tenure that they'd make another step. You know, and they'd really try and over nearly even overtake Waterford or even to overtake Cork to a certain extent and try challenge them. You know, that's how much I was kind of holding them in high regard. You know, and it just didn't. It's not transpiring at the moment. There was there's, there's video of Tony Kelly doing. It looks to be rehab runs before the game, so he looks to be close to coming back. They need him so badly. He's a link man. They've moved John Connor to the forwards again, so that was looks to be an experiment. I'm not sure was last year's experiment of him being at six now uh, abandoned, or is it just simply a case of that they need the firepower up front? You know, it's hard to tell about Clare now at the moment. Um, but it's interesting. Like you look, you look, you're looking at Clare and you're saying, how far can they go on the back of the two displays they've produced? And like they'll probably go exactly where they were last year. You know probably putting a good, a good game or two here or there, but they're not showing, they're not showing much. They're not showing a vast improvement. They're not showing learnings from last year. They're not showing growth. You know what I mean? Players who had good years last year aren't shown to be getting better. You know, that sounds quite damning. Don't get me wrong. It does. And it sounds like I'm putting them down, but that just seems to be the reality. But it's like beating at home by Wexford, who are going okay, let's say, you have to win your home games. It's as simple as that. You have to win your home games regardless of who you have. And, and as Paul said, Innes is a tough place to go. They pull in the pitch. They make it tight to suit themselves but just uh, clear it in the form. Simple as that. Right, I've dropped Clare down to ninth on the basis of the two defeats they've had, but really it's because the teams are very close just above them. So I've gone just outside the top six then. Had Tipperary in fifth place, put Dublin into sixth, who've started well. Um, Dublin so far, Paul, they've kind of, they've come out with the traps really quickly. They went in, took the Walsh Cup very seriously, won it, beat Wexford at Crow Park, started the league strongly, Eked out a result then last weekend away from home in Corrigan Park against an Antrim team who've now put in two really good displays. Bit of a litmus test coming up this weekend though to go up against Tipperary. And I know Tipperary are probably changing approach a little bit. And what I kind of noted from the Tipperary against Kilkenny game is that at long last, both of these teams are now trying to move to a possession game. I think there's a difference in the way that both of them have been playing that maybe they were reluctant to do. Like, you look back at that 2019 final, it was try and go toe-to-toe against each other. And it was like a mm-hmm. classic Tipperary Kilkenny setup. Now both of them, at least based on the evidence that we've seen so far this season, are now maybe shifting a little bit towards the way that their rivals have been playing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and maybe it took both Kilkenny and Tip that small bit longer to, to adjust to this. Um, 
Uh, but like uh, the Kilkenny, well, I suppose to go back to Antrim initially, like, you know, Antrim improvement, like last year they a great year and they were great to watch as well, and especially going to Corrigan Park. I mean, they got they got two great wins last year between uh, Clare and Wexford, you know. But they came down to Kilkenny, um, I think it was after the Clare match, they came down to Kilkenny and took a bit of a beating. But, you know, again, I suppose that's just learning her from going. It's one thing to play at your home pitch, but to, to, to go to someone else's pitch. But in fairness to Antrim, like, you know, they've, they've great hurlers. They've always had great hurlers, okay? They've come in and out of, of, of having good patches over the years. But, like, they're, I, th- I think to be fair, they're a team that no team's going to underestimate because they're very passionate people up there anyway. We, know, we all know that. But they always bring that to a game, in fairness to them. Um, I think it's a great win for Dublin. We were saying about Dublin, like, I mean, it's a great win for Dublin to go to Corrigan Park. The one thing I've seen against Dub- about Dublin this year is something that they've been missing for a good few years, as far as I'm concerned, is like I remember first when I came playing with Kenny around 2011, and Dublin were this physical team that were in your face. It's like they kind of reinvented this whole thing of getting up in your face and hitting you hard and mouthing at you and all this. And that disappeared for a long time from Dublin, um, which I think you know did them absolutely no favors whatsoever because it was a huge part of their game where they actually just aggressively got at you. And the first two matches, particularly the Watford one. That's something I saw, like the mountain that went on in the water match. Now, not condoning legend, but it seemed to be just that lads were in each other's faces. I don't think it was Anthony Malice said, but I was seeing something in Dublin we hadn't seen for a while. Okay, they got lads sent off and all that, but it just again, it goes back to this thing of they were playing the small bit on the edge, they were getting stuck in, they were at least they were laying hands on that. We're talking about Corkman laying hands on that. Dublin are back doing it, you know. So, a big test for them now is with Tip is will they go and lay hands on Tip and get stuck in and treat this with the same contempt that other Dublin teams around the early 2010s would have treated it. In terms of Tip and Kilkenny, yeah, like you said, um, Tip and Kilkenny are, are, are going towards it. I can say for myself, like Kilkenny have been trying to do this for the last few years um, and slowly going towards it. But again, it, it, you don't just turn it on over, overnight or do it after one year. You kind of have to implement it and get the culture of that's the game we're trying to play into it. For me, with the Kilkenny Tip match the last day, like the first half was, was, was poor enough in terms of watching it. A lot of wides, a lot of sloppy play. And I think if, for anyone watching, if you want to see what an inter-county player is, you look at how the game changed once they introduced Ronan Marr and Walter Welch. It was, the, the tempo lifted an enormous amount. And for me, that was because they introduced two players that that's the standard of an elite inter-county player. They get stuck in, they drive in. Like Ronan Marr had a huge influence on the game. And then Walter Welch also, it was like there was awareness, the Tipperary back were suddenly aware that there was a six foot five lad on the pitch who was going to come running at them. And that's what Walter Welch did. So for me, it was interesting to see that in the first half, or I suppose Kilkenny more than Tip had a lot more new players on the pitch. But once he got the season boys back in, just how the tempo lifted and the aggression that went into it. And suddenly there was, the second half was like a Kilkenny Tip match that we usually know. The first half was not great to watch at all. So like Kilkenny Tip, yet yeah, they're adjusting, they're taking a bit of time, but we're starting to see it maybe with the younger players coming through that they've adapted to this game. And look, again, they're going to use the league that way, probably get their few wins and maybe hit middle of the table. But really, I think Kilkenny and Tip, what we see at the moment is they're introducing a lot of new players, trying to get the game plan right, see what they have for championship and hopefully hit the ground running with championship. That's the way they're looking at it. Yeah, it's kind of scary at this stage, Paul. This is fourth decade and I appreciate it was the late 90s when Cody took over, but it just goes to show how long he's been in charge of Kilkenny now. And he's always been you know, there to oversee these rebuilds and changes and new players coming through and look TJ Reid's going to be on his honeymoon for a couple of weeks so he's not going to be back for this weekend and like players have uh, dropped off the panel like uh, Holden and like Colin Fenley and you know it's, it's a lot of experience that's been lost in a very short period of time for Kilkenny but have any of these young players that have been blooded against Andrum, Antrim and Tipperary impressed you so far? 
Yeah, um, like you know, Keen Kenny in the middle of the field there. Like I thought he had a great game against Tipperary. In fairness to him, you had Mikey Butler a corner back as well. You know, gotten a few balls. Okay, one or two kind of mistakes there as well. I suppose like okay, we've looked at Huey Lawler for the last few years and he's been great, but he was just he was immense at full back. Um, you know, like the likes of Mikey Carey. Okay, he won great ball, but maybe the striking wasn't you know as clean as it could have been at the end of it. But you know, for me looking at it. Maybe it's just in the forwards a small bit more and need a few more lads stepping up. Like we see Porik Mar or Porik um, Welsh going up into the forwards now, which is which is a new thing for them. The likes of James Bergen and these have shown um, you know, over the last few years, like they're they're dangerous players and there is potential there. I think Brian is trying to figure out what his best six forwards are going to be. I'd say he's a fair idea of his backs. Um now with Joey Holden stepping away, okay, Joey wasn't playing last year, but I think he has a fair more of an idea of about his backs, but he's looking for these forwards that are going to come in. And at the end of the day, like for, for Brian, he has the last, I suppose you call it two young hurlers of the years. I think they won it over the last three years. So Owen Cody and Adrian wanted to come back. I mean, that's a huge thing to do. Like if we're talking about youth coming through, if you want to call it the last three young hurlers of the years, but like you have them two lads coming back in who you don't have to blood. They're young fellas, but you don't have to blood. Physically, they're capable. So Brian is really looking at it at the moment of, will I play Park Wedge centre forward? And will I have the likes of Adrian Mullen and Owen Cody, let's say Owen Cody in full forward line, Adrian Mullen playing off Park Welch, who will win his own ball if it breaks? Does that allow me to let TJ into the corner or TJ out around half forward to get a bit of space? So I think that's the way Brian is looking at it. And then ideally, I'm looking for that new corner forward, a new full forward, whatever it's going to be. And he's just giving lads opportunity. Put your hand up, grab a jersey. If you grab it, happy days. If not, you know, you'll be sitting on the line and Brian has no, no qualms with doing it. So I think that's, that's generally the way Brian is looking at it at the moment. James, I'm jumping around a little bit, but when we talk about Tipperary so far, like we can't start the hurling pod without mentioning the two Mars not been around for Tipperary this year. And mm-hmm. like Brendan Mars' retirement was known from a long way out. So at least Colin Bonner's coming in. He knows he's not going to have Brendan. But then to get that shock that for the first time since 2009, they won't have Brendan Mara or Porik Mara involved. Like, it's very sad for Porik Mara to have to retire. He was on off the ball with us a few weeks ago. Said he kind of made peace with it quickly when the doctor gives you that diagnosis and says, look, if you take heavy hits on your shoulder or neck, you could potentially do serious damage to yourself. And I think the line the doctor gave him was, you don't want your girlfriend to have to be picking you up off the couch at some point if you take a high impact injury. Yeah. But like, what a blow to Tipperary to lose two players who've been so central to everything good that Tipperary have done over the last 13 years. Yeah, like I, th- I think it's a stark realisation too for, for the rest of Tipperary players to understand that what, what they've lost. You know, um, as I said, Brendan Martin's retirement, it, it came, it went. I think the, the, the new manager was announced, the squad got back into training. Park was probably still involved, you know what I mean? And next thing this news came where Park had to, had to unfortunately pull out. And I'd say for himself, there probably was a moment where he, t- he said, you know, I'll keep going. But then, again, as I said, a realisation of what the repercussions could have been if he kept going. So, obviously, the right choice. Like, he had to do what he had to do. Um, but just an immense character. I, I know everyone, let's say, from the outset, um, especially from a supporter perspective, they will look at the games, they look at the influence he has in games. But you can't underestimate the influence like those guys would have in a dressing room. They'll have on the day in, day out, uh, on the training sessions, the strength sessions, the stretching sessions, the WhatsApp group the nights out, all that accumulates together to form the team, you know. And what you see then through all those little little steps throughout the course of a year, like you train probably 100 times a year, you, you could play seven, eight games. So the ratio could be one is to 10 or one is to nine. So you're in, you're in amongst your teammates a lot more off the pitch, per se, than you are on the pitch. So like when you think you're taking away that influence, you're taking away that seniority, like he, he garnered such respect from everyone, I'd imagine, it's a massive blow. And it was evident. Like, it was evident. You, you, when you take the two boys out of the game the last day, it, it looked, you know, they looked very mortal. You know what I mean? They, they, they looked like 
they weren't a top five team, a top six team, especially playing at home in front of their own crowd, who are a rapturous crowd. We know that well. Um, and they didn't, but they snuck out the results. Don't get me wrong, but they just didn't look like the kind of I won't say invincibility, like, but it's definitely the quality that you, you, you associate with Tip in the past. Um, and it's going to prov- provide an interesting year. I'm not sure what's what does a, a successful year look like for Tip this year. I think if you ask them last year and every year before that, it's in Ireland without question, the Munster title. So this year, what is success for Tip? You know, is taking back a Munster crown for Limerick? You know, is that, that the peak of it? Is that, is that what they're going to be aiming for? Uh, and will people settle for that? I think there needs to be a reality whereby you know, Tip aren't the power from before. Like, do the squad themselves realise this? You know, what's their what's their kind of targets? You know, there's an awful lot to play at Tip this year, and I think it's just going to be an interesting watch. Yeah, Paul, two points come off that. Where do you rank Park Mara over the defenders we've seen over the last kind of 20, 30 years? Because for me, like, he's right up there. He wins as many All-Stars as celebrated forwards like Nicky English and like Kelly. And he retires away with pretty much picking up an All-Star every second year, which is fair going for your senior career. Like to go in as a kind of a star of the minor and under-21 teams, not a young age, come in and settle into a crucial position in the defence for Tipperary and to hold that position for over a decade is just remarkable. So I, I think he's right up there. And then to James's point, what does a good year look like for Tipperary? Because there were plenty of people last year who were saying that for Tip, they need to get to a point where they start to recycle the team and some of those 2021 players start to come in. And maybe that Sheedy was staying loyal to the players that he had previously and the change is required. So give us Paddy Marr first and then what you expect of Tipperary for the year. Yeah, well, look, I think we all know like Paddy Marr, last, if you were to pick a team the last 30 years, there's one or two lads who are, are straight into there. And the reason with Paddy Marr is because you could put him left half back, you could put him centre back, you could put him full back. And I think what we all like to see with Paddy Marr was that he, he was just kind of like a JJ Blaney. Like when he was up left half back, you just knew he was capable of serious things. And that when a big match came around, he was going to play really well, which is, you can't say that about everyone. And sometimes that leads question marks and different things. But Paddy Marr always played well. He always put it on the line. He put his body in there. Anytime he tipped at anything good, he was at the centre of it. Like, and, and I mean that in a broad statement of that if they won in All Ireland, if they won a match down in Turles, if there was something, you know, if the match was in the jaws, Paddy Marr was there, which is a huge thing to rely on for a player that you know he's going to perform. And when you look at the role he played, like that, he was less half-back starting off from teams and just hurling really well. But then once the game changed a small bit and, like, let's say they were playing, they might be playing Wexford or someone else was dropping back a sweeper, Paddy Marr was the fella that was basically the fulcrum of that team. He would st- stand on the D and call Barrett to win a ball, give it to Paddy Marr. You know, you'd have James Barry win the ball, give it to Paddy Marr. And this was what he was. He was the centre of that defence. And really, I suppose, different players over the years, and of course, give credit to Brendan Marr as well, and Shane Callan, these guys might have been, let's say, the leader at different times. But I think overall, over that great, that great team that they played in, he was probably the main man that held it together throughout. He always played well. So in fairness to him, like, I think you can say no more about the man than... That's just, you know, that, that that's the type of player he was. In terms of tip for the year, um, like I think realistically, again, like Munster people look at, I suppose the Munster title as being big bragging rights. Maybe it's a little bit different in Leinster. Like, I mean, Kilkenny, Galway, you, you want to win Leinster, definitely. But I think overall, when you step back from the year, you're talking, if, if it's going to be a success, is it All-Ireland semi-final? Do we get to an All-Ireland final? Are we going to win an All-Ireland? These are really where you're gauging it by. And I think for Tipperary, I think really what they're looking to do now is, and they won't admit this maybe, but it's it's maybe steady the ship with an All-Ireland semi-final, put in the savage performance, potentially maybe get to an All-Ireland final, depending on the way the draw goes. But I think that's what they're looking at, like is that if we get to an All-Ireland semi-final, compete really well in Munster. Yes, aim for a Munster title. If we get to an All-Ireland semi-final, 
and you know get a lot of these young players into Crow Park, compete really well against whoever it might be, win it, lose it, whatever. But if that's where we get to, I think that's a good year for Tipperary. And that's not to insult anyone, but it's just off the back of last year and you know, the, let's say Limerick and Waterford for me anyway being the leaders in Munster for Tip to get back into that and be competing in All Ireland semi final. If they're at the All Ireland semi final stage, they've had a good year because they've put in their performances Munster. They've gotten to All-Ireland semi-final. And I think if you get Tipperary to All-Ireland semi-final, they're capable of getting to a final. Will they beat Limerick? I don't think so at the moment. But I think that's a good year for them, around the All-Ireland semi-final mark, and see what happens there. Well, for all of our sins, I'm going to be on OTBM on Thursday morning talking through the rest of the power rankings. So below that, you guys disagree with me entirely, but I've kind of kept conservative on Wexford's approach so far until we see how they go this weekend. Kept them in eighth, put Clare down to ninth, I put Antrim just ahead of Leash now in 10th place. Um, there's different types of defeats. And even though Antrim lost out to Dublin last time around, they pushed Dublin all the way. And so I think that's much better than what we saw in Walsh Park from Leash. A little bit worried about how leaky Leash have been in these first two games against uh, Tipperary and uh, also the last day out against Waterford, which was a real beating. And we'll see how they get on against Kilkenny this weekend. And then you've got Westmead, who are just inside the top 12, despite the fact they lost out against Carlo. It's become really difficult to actually gauge where teams are at at the upper end of Division 2 and towards the bottom of Division 1 currently because all the teams have kind of taken points off each other in the first couple of weeks. So maybe we'll see where Kerry are at a bit more a couple of games into it. But Westmead, they've got a must-win game away to Mead this weekend after losing out to Carlo. And Carlo put a bit of life back into Division 2. And uh, we'll put Offaly just in behind Westmead despite the fact they've lost uh, their first two games so far in Division 1. We know that James Skell has got training coming up pretty soon. So we'll talk about the other bits and pieces of hurling that happen before he gets to run laps uh, with the Galway League coming back around. Uh, we had the amazing finish to the club finals Paul. Um, yeah. Maybe not the most brilliant game between Ballygunner and Ballyhale as it worked out, but Harry Ruddle is never going to have to buy a pint in Waterford ever again <laughs> after what he did. And if yeah. I was a Ballygunner player, I would have been screaming at him to try and pass the ball when he picked it up 40 yards out from goal. But what a way to win it. Like Ruddle of the mm-hmm. Rovers was the headline among the back of one of the papers. And that was exactly it. Like a substitute coming on, a few minutes to go, picks up the ball, dream run and puts the ball in with the very last puck, which meant that Ballyhale team, who used up so many lives during the club championship, had no way to come back. Yeah, it was, you know, again, it's, it's the whole cliche that you couldn't write it. And like, if you did try and write it, it's a bit boring because you think that never happened. But uh, yeah, it was unbelievable. Like, you know, we didn't know Harry Rudd's name before the weekend. And then he was trending on Twitter because it was just remarkable. And it was kind of one of those things that I suppose, look, Ballyhale had done it so many times to teams and Ballyhale are the experts at closing out a match that we just, we just saw them, okay, they're gonna they're gonna just you know run down the clock here now. They'll get over the line in happy days. And you know like the whole scenario where he shot from, and he gave it the best chance he could, and just into the corner. I mean it was absolutely remarkable. And I think as well just the whole story with Bally Gunner. I mean look we know how good they are in in Waterford, but no Waterford team having won a club all Ireland for them to get there beating the greatest club all Ireland team there, there's ever been. Um, I mean, it's just, it's a remarkable story uh, for Bally Gunner. I'm sure, look, they would have taken the win regardless what way you would have given it to him. One point to no score, they would have taken it. But it's a remarkable story. It was nail-biting stuff um, and a brilliant match, you know, absolutely brilliant match. And we, we talk a last-minute winners, not to jump across to Fitzgibbon, but Mikey Kiley nearly gave his heart attacks over the last few days with, with, with his two last-minute winners um, as well in the Fitzgibbon. But like with, with the club hurling in general, you know, in the intermediate again, Nace with a great with a great win in the All Ireland final. Again, it's great for that. They've they've been hurling, they're doing great things up in Nace as well, especially with underage hurling. They've come down to, to Kenny quite a few times and dished out a few beatings at underage. And you know, they're making savage progression there. So it's a great one for Nace to win. 
And uh, I suppose again, going back to the junior then as well, I suppose anyone who's who's looked at the junior, you know, Munkine, the Rose and Munkine, Munkine won by one, one point. And uh, like the last minute winner, a sideline from, from 70 yards, I mean, was just absolutely incredible. I know Ballygibley went up the other end then and got a point. That point put him up, put Munkine up by two points. Ballygibley went up the other end and got a point. But it was just remarkable. And the Club All-Ireland, I think, as a whole, like there was just great stories there. Not that... You know, each year we have clubs coming through and it's it's remarkable stories and you get to play in Crow Park. But across the board with the three games, I think it was just, you know, it, it's great for the club All-Irelands. It's great to watch them and to see the stories that are involved because it's one thing to win an Inter-County All-Ireland, but the club All-Irelands, the amount of steps you have to take to win that club All-Irelands is remarkable. So, look, across the board, um, I think we were, we were absolutely treated with, with three great games in, in the club All-Irelands. Spoken by a man with an All Ireland Club junior medal already in his pocket, James. I had to get the junior club All Ireland in there. There yeah. you go. <laughs> when it, when it comes, James, to what I, what Ballygunner do from here and what this might mean for Waterford Hurling, like Derek McGrath was on uh, League Sunday where they were discussing the final, and he was saying that you know this was a huge breakthrough moment because so many of these Waterford teams have come so close, All Ireland semi-finals, finals didn't quite get over the line. Ballygunner have done it this time. You look at Desi Hutchinson, the big game performances that he put in this year, Munster final against Kilmallock, you know the way he played against Ballyhale in the final. This can only help their Waterford contingent going back in. Like Park Manny was saying to us on the club championship show on OTB last week that he genuinely feels a lift now and he thinks that the county probably feel a lift on the back of what Ballygunner have just done. Yeah, I just think it goes back to an old phrase like that it, it can be done. Do you know what I mean? As simple as that. And like I think from a success perspective, Waterford haven't had that much on an Ireland stage, respectfully saying. And like, I think there's a squad themselves now with the water as a count of themselves they get like they'll get um, a spur it'll be any kind of positivity around around the victory can only be good for for the teams involved so like when you have Parik Mahoney and you have Desi Hutchison I'd love to see Stephen O'Keefe back in as well like when you put them into a squad all it is is, is kind of it's infectious positivity you know that's the first thing because you're coming back off 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 a huge win a win that was probably got was probably lost three or four times by the gunner I thought the game went, the, the, they went very monotonous it was just where's where's Desi get the ball from Desi and and I thought that that you know Bally Hale probably had snuffed it out pretty fierce well but they kept at it and they kept at it and they kept at it and they got their victory you know which was so admirable I thought the way they went about it was 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 very you know like just a never say die attitude keep going like if you were Harry Road I think a number was a number seventeen on his back. The yeah, the, the, the joke was the number 17 jersey is probably going to end up framed in their local pub afterwards, but I'm not sure if Harry Ruddle will want to keep the 17, but that was at least what Waterford Local Radio were saying on the commentary. Yeah, like, I'd love to know what the other Belly Gunner boys were kind of rolling at him as he's doing the run, you know, because, like, like tell him not to, don't shoot, don't shoot, then he shoots, you know what I mean? And they score, like, you know, that's kind of, I was in my head, I was kind of saying, pass it, pass it, like, you know, but, like, fair, fair, fair reduced to him, you know. I think from a Belly Hill perspective, they'd probably think, they should have put him down, should have tripped him up early and should have got him, got him to the ground, you know. But to go back to your question, Will, the, the, the fact that Ballygunner won it after such, I, I suppose, years of heartache, Munster semi-finals, Munster finals, you know, uh, obviously, Ireland semi-finals against Ballyhale in the past, they've won a litany of, of Watford county titles. It's kind of got to a stage now whereby it probably doesn't carry that much importance. It's only a step of stone to the Ireland Championship at this stage and for them to finally do it, you know, I was really genuinely happy with them, you know. And I think, like you'll say, that your man, to be... Harry Rudd will never buy a pint of belly gunner. I think there's probably lads in James Stevens or Lachlan's that are buying a pint as well. Do you know what I mean? Because, like, <laughs> I think it's just you have to be so happy for them. That's why when I look at the, a team who has had such heartache over the number probably 10, 12 years, I don't know how long Shane and Sullivan is playing with them, trying to get, get an Ireland final, you know, really happy for them. And you know, if you only do good things for Watford, and you, you wouldn't know how it'll set them up for the, for the years coming. 
Yeah, Paul, we're jumping around when it comes to Fitzgibbon, but finally, you've already mentioned like Mikey Kiley is top spin free in a semi-final, a couple of days out from the final. I kind of worried about them going into it on the back of the short break that they had compared to NUI Galway, but you well found a way to win that game. And the big talking point, though, is the red card, which is handed out to Keane Lynch, because everyone obviously got to see it with the benefit of the replay, but it becomes very clear that Keane Lynch didn't have a swipe, and it was actually a case of O'Mara had kicked the hurl out of his hand. And that red card came at such a crucial moment to NUI Galway's main player. And we never know what difference it actually made in the end, but you would think it's been a huge factor in the destination of the Fitzgibbon this year. Yeah, you'd have to believe, look, again, like we said, we don't know, but like you see, 1-4 was conceded after um, Keane Lynch was sent off. Like, I mean, that just showed that the team was completely unsettled, really. That's, I think, the effect. Okay, you could say Keane Lynch would have had an effect and he got on ball and everything, but the effect of having a man sent off you know, can have can have a ripple effect right through the team. And I think that's the biggest thing it had. One four, you know, on the trot. I think that just the proof is in the pudding there of of um of, of what the result was of, of, of the sending off of Keen Lynch. Again, look, I suppose I, I saw it again online. I wasn't at the match, I saw it online. I saw one shot of it. Again, we can always say the referee in lines, but they don't see it, which is understandable. It, it was a tricky one, but look, it wasn't a sending off. That's the bottom line. It wasn't sending off. And it, I feel bad for Keen Lynch as well because you know, he wants to win if it's he wants to win if it's given with NUIG, you know, and he wants to be part of this. He didn't do anything to be sent off, but he gets a red card and you know he's kind of walking off the pitch a little bit confused and disappointed, feeling maybe that he let down his teammates, knowing that he didn't swipe. So it's certainly a tough one. Um but look again, like you know, it, it, was, it was a huge win for you well. Something on NUIG, which I think is a great achievement as well, is Keen Lynch was the only man not from Galway on the team. If I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's that's that was what I read that which is a huge achievement for, you know, a college team to get to a Fitzgibbon Cup final and uh, and to have 14 of their own county in it, which, which is a great achievement. You had the likes of Evan Island as well, 79 points he scored in the competition, which is which is huge. But look again, the likes of that, Mike Kiley, again, you said he scored the goal at the top spin against uh, Carlo 18 in the first match, 45 yards out in the semi-final, which is, which is unbelievable. But, you know, his goal in the final itself, um, draw a match at the time, Dean Mason hits a long ball down. Mikey Kiley gets it, and he had a savage amount to do, and he soloed right in and got the goal. So, like, look, okay, it was tough. Keen Lynch being sent off, but you know, UL really made uh, made hay once once he did get sent off. But it's just, I suppose, for for neutral viewers, you kind of wouldn't want it being lost that way. And there's there does lay a small bit of a question mark over it. And look, I personally feel bad for Keen Lynch that he was sent off. You know, the harder the year, you want to see him on the pitch, but. Um, look, that's sometimes just the breaks you get. Um, and I think maybe they'll be looking at it as well, saying, look, 1-4 in the closing minutes, should we be conceding that? But look, once the final whistle blows and the cup is gone, I don't think there'll be much analysis into it. But look, in fairness to UL, it was a great competition. Carlo IT hosted it really well and uh, fair play to UL. They deserve all the plaudits themselves. Yeah, like it's one of those, James, the officials have made a mistake here very clearly on the Keane Lynch decision. Can you understand where the mistake has come from? Or is there a certain amount of they kind of assumed what had happened because surely they must have had a decent view. I know the camera was on this side and the officials were more on kind of the blind side of the instant, but surely if you're watching what's happening, you got to have a very clear decision on that, that you know that Keane Lynch has struck out as opposed to what's actually a tangle of a hurl and a leg and yeah. the way it actually played out. I, I genuinely, I, I do sympathise with Robin Horgan a bit because, you know, a free is given, he's probably turning his back a bit to go get up the field, you know, in case there's a, there's a fast free being taken. And I think he's been given information. That's what I think happened. I think he's probably saw the corner of his eye, a hurl probably flying. 
Then when you couple that with the fact that the linesman puts up his flag, the well crowd, the well subs, the management are all very, very animated, to put it that way to you. And that can all kind of sway into a decision. So I think Fergal Horgan, probably in terms of view, he probably caught 10, 15% of what happened. He walked over then and trusted his official who probably gave him certain information to say possibly it looked like a striking offence. So when he coupled that with all the excitement of Roe on the sideline, Fergal Horgan probably thought this is a red card. So I, I think he was probably told, if I'm honest, it's probably a striking offence. You know, I think that's probably what happened. He didn't get a full grasp of it. He didn't. I think if he, if he saw it in real time, 100% full on, it's... I think it's just play on. So I think I think it's drop the drop the ball, take the free, move on, get up and get on with it. But I think he's been given false information. So I do sympathise him to a certain extent, and I, I I agree with Paul. Like it had a massive, you know, impact on the game. People will say our oh, Keen Lynch wasn't having like Brian Amaro was doing a good job on him that he wasn't very influential, but he still takes watching. He was still setting up an awful lot of play. You still have to go after him. Like so, if, wherever Keen Lynch goes, he could open a pocket, he could open a space. You know, he could open an avenue for somebody else or a simple hand pass. It just takes an awful lot of watching. So when you take that cog out of the wheel, you know, the wheel came off. And, you know, so like, so you feel sorry for you, for, for NUIG that they lost in that manner. Um, but there was still, you know, a few, Mikey Kelly still got in. Like he still got past three defenders and got past the goalie to get the goal. So, you know, you can look at big decisions and big moments in games and say, say that they were the deciding factor in the game. But still, there was a couple of frees given away, which they were frees. There was a goal given away, which which he shouldn't have got through. There was a wide on behalf, or two on behalf in UI. All the, them things accumulate to, to, uh, to, to what we saw as a result, you know. So I, I, I'm not going to be holding Fergal Hogan on account too much of that one. Well, look, Omar is due to travel this summer. If I'm Colin Bonner, I'm probably confiscating his passport to make sure he doesn't go to the country later this year because Tipperary uh, could do with him with the performances we saw from the Fitzgibbon. Lads, that brings to a close our first episode. I've enjoyed uh, chatting Hurling with you. Looking forward to it for the rest of the season. We're going to have a slight change in format uh, for the Hurling pods, uh, both with uh, Paul and with James next week. So you'll be able to hear the audio pod on Monday night of next week. We'll be doing a review of all the games in Division 1 of the National Hurling League from this weekend coming. And then you'll be get, able to see the video on the Off The Ball YouTube from Tuesday lunchtime. So we're going to not compete directly with the football pod. We'll try and sneak out some hurling analysis before uh, the lads get a chance over on the football pod. Uh, But of course, check them out as well for your football fix uh, coming off the back of what's going to be a dual weekend. Paul, James, thanks a million for joining us on the first episode of the Hurling Pod and looking forward to chatting to you on Monday. Thank you, Will. Thanks, Paul. OTB's The Hurling Pod with James Skell and Paul Murphy.